All right, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going verse by verse through the New Testament. So we're in 2 Corinthians 8. And we're going to be in verse 10 all the way to the end of the chapter. That's a big chunk, but I did uh, finish it uh, in first service, so it was a miracle. So I'm believing for another miracle taking place. So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10, so let's read to the end of the chapter. It says, in this I give advice, it is your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there's also maybe a completion out of what you have. For if there's a will, first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but it, by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, there may be an equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you on his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who also, uh, but who also was chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother whom we have proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if, our, if it's our brethren they're acquired about, they're messengers of the churches to the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the church uh, therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's already filled with life, nourishment for us. We're going to receive it by faith. Holy Spirit, again we ask you to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. So Father, that they walk away with hearing from you and taking away exactly what they need, and only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to verse 10, start unpacking this. Verse 10 says, And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. Paul's going to bring out that when he was there previously, after the after he had written First Corinthians, but before First Corinthians, he had visited there and it brought up the need that was happening in Jerusalem. That there was a great famine that hit. Matter of fact, the prophet Agabus stood up and prophesied that there would be a great famine, a great dearth in the earth, and sure enough, it happened. And so there was a great famine, a great lack hit the nation of Palestine or Israel. And so Paul's saying there's a great need among the saints there. And so he just brought that up, and then the, the churches said, you know, can we participate in that? We want to, and the Corinthians were all excited about this offering, and just started maybe on the first offering, gave a little bit, but then just stopped. After Paul left, they just stopped. And we find out partly why, it's because Judaizers came in, false teachers came in, and started lying about Paul and saying, who is this Paul anyway? And why is he wanting you to receive money and store it up? Because he said that I'm going to be coming back, and I don't want to take up an offering, big offering when I'm there. So every time you meet, why don't you just 
put away a little bit and prepare for this offering. And so the Judaizers say, well, why would Paul want you to do that? Why? It's because possibly he wants to come back and take it all, and then he's going to take all your money. And so they stop giving to that offering, but the Judaizer says, now we're here. We're super apostles. We deserve you would take care of us. Now, Paul didn't ask for you to take care of him because obviously he's not a super apostle. You know, so only super apostles get to get taken care of, and so obviously that proved he wasn't a super apostle like we are. And so they were basically stealing from the congregation. So the money that should be going into the offering for the kingdom, the, the Judaizers were taking, robbing them. And so, again, they hadn't, and so this has almost been a year later, one of the longest offerings in history. This offering's been going on for a year now, and they haven't been giving anything. And Paul says this, I give my advice. Notice this, I don't command you. Command, giving in the new covenant is never by commandment. It's never by something that's demanded of you. Now, some churches and some denominations teach that we don't serve God the Father, we serve the Godfather. Godfather, what do it mean? If you've got to pay, you got to pay your earnest money and you don't pay your money, protection money, then you're going to come in and break your kneecaps or get you sickness or do something harmful or your house will get burglarized. And so a lot of people say, you know what, you know, if you don't pay your tithes, then God will take it out in doctor bills. <laughs> That's garbage. And so we serve God the Father, not the Godfather. And so he just brings out, it's my advice. I'm, I'm encouraging, exhorting you. The New Testament is not about commanding, it's about exhortation. So he says, in this I give advice, it's to your advantage. Look at that word advantage. And so the word advantage means to benefit, to profit, to be advantageous, to be expedient. Paul brings out giving is actually advantageous to you. It benefits you when you give. And Paul brings that out. Why is giving advantageous to you? Because guess what? When you sow finances, God turns it into supernatural seed. I don't know how that happens, but God does that. You just take natural finances in this earth, you sow it to the kingdom of God, and God turns it into supernatural seed that has the ability to multiply. And so when you sow it into good ground, that ground, it's going to work, a ministry, a church. You sow your seed in there, it's going to produce and multiply and work for that ministry or church. But also, guess what? God causes it to come back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God pours it back to you in your bosom. No, it says, through men, God doesn't have a heavenly printing press where he's going to hot $20 bills to you, no. He's going to cause it to come back through men. You gave it to men, it's going to come back through men. And so you've got to realize that. But God likes to use people. And he likes to use you to get it out and likes to use people to get it back in. But a lot of Christians are good. and They use their faith in sowing that seed. But not very many Christians are good about using their faith to reap the seed. See, it's sowing and reaping. You need your faith for both. You need to make sure that you're sowing by faith when you sow that in there. It's not just something you do, just throw it in there. No, by faith, I'm putting it in. It's going to work for where we send it, the ground. It's going to work in that ministry. It's going to work powerfully in the kingdom of God. But then you need to use your faith to say, I claim a harvest back. Well, isn't that selfish? So I can get more. No, no. Why do you want more? Why do you want to believe that it comes back? Because you can give more. And so, again, it's not, you can be selfish in giving, but then, then, uh, you can also not be. And so giving comes from an outward focus. Someone that's a giver, they're outward focused. They're God focused and outward focused. But, but lack of giving, someone that doesn't give a whole lot, they're self-centered. They're self-focused. They're a shellfish. They're all clammed up in themselves. They're not focused on anyone else. 
And so it says it's profitable for you. It's advantageous to give because, again, it's seed that multiplies and comes back to you. And he says that it's your advantage not only to be doing what you began but and were desiring to do a year ago. And so they were desiring. They got really excited at the very beginning. It's easy to get excited about something, but over a length of time, what happens to that excitement oftentimes? Oftentimes it diminishes. There's so many Christians. You've known Christians that are on fire, and they're just they, they're so on fire. But you meet them years later, and all of a sudden, they're, they're cold. They're not serving the Lord. What happened? So often that happens with our zeal. So if your zeal's not as hot as it used to be towards the Lord, then you need to ask, why is it? And one of the, the good ways to tell where a heart is is where is their treasure. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever had think that Jesus said something backwards or should, he should have said some other way? Well, I have. And I said, well, it should have been, Lord, why didn't it say where your heart is, there your treasure will be? No, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's all your heart follows your treasure. You ever, you know, Lord asked you to write a big offering check, you wrote it off and put it in the box and it went by and your heart went with it. You're like, <laughs> this brings out the fact that if you don't know, if you don't like where your heart is, change where you put your treasure. You can redirect your heart by your treasure. And so Paul says, redirect your heart. Your zeal has gone. You were desiring it, but now I'm not so much. You're not excited anymore about the things of the Lord. And so put your treasure towards the kingdom of God. And so verse 11 says, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also be a completion out of what you have. Let me make this statement. That is, it takes inspiration to start something, but it takes character to finish it. Let me say that again if you're taking notes. It takes inspiration to start something, like a diet. We've all been had exciting, you know, and the, the best time, or a fast. I'm going to go on a fast. And, and the time we think the fast is the best thing to do is after a big Mexican meal. You're just going, you know what, I think I'm going to fast for a couple of weeks, and I'm into this, and I'm excited. And then Monday morning, the next day hit, and hunger hits, you're like, oh, no, what did I do? But it takes character to finish it. God's a finisher. Did you know that? God's a finisher. He doesn't just start something. Leave. He didn't start something in you and say, you know what? Yeah, I didn't realize what I was getting into with them. I'm done. I'm out of here. Aren't you glad God's not like people? Look at Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, God's a finisher. Tell someone God's a finisher. Philippians. Chapter 1, look at verse 6. It says, being confident. You can be confident about what thing? This very thing, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, that's that salvation when you accepted Jesus, that, that good work he began, that he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to complete what he started. God's a finisher. Tell someone you're not, you're not finished yet. Tell someone else you're a work in progress. And a few of you are just a piece of work. I don't know. So praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so God finishes. I'm glad. And you know what? God finishes something. He asks us to do that. If we start, we make a commitment to something, God wants us to finish it. Well, pastor, I don't think God was in it. When I decided it was just a flippant thing, I don't think the Lord led me into that thing. And, but guess what God's saying? Finish it. Commit. You made a commitment. No, if it's sin, stop it. You can drop it. Don't finish it. If it's sin, you can drop it. But if it's something you committed to people, and you're like, you know what? I don't even know if God was in that thing. But you know what? God's telling you to finish it. God finishes it. 
There's a reminds me of an example when Kenneth Hagin, he was um, traveling around and then he, a church reached out to him and says, we want you to be pastor of our church. And he says, well, you know, and, and the thought came to his mind. He says, you know what? I wanted to save some time fasting and praying. I didn't want to, you know, squat myself down, the flesh down, and fast and pray, really hear from the Lord on it. So he says, I, I went the easy route, and I put a fleece out. Now, fleeces are fine for the old covenant, but, but fleeces are not for the new covenant. We're led by the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. But he said, I want to save time praying and fasting, so I'm going to put a fleece out. And so, Lord, this is my fleece. If they vote me in 100%, if I get every vote of the church that they want me in because the congregation voted on it, if every person, not a single person puts a no in, I'll just take that as your will. I'm supposed to pastor this church. And so sure enough, he got 100% vote. He got in. He says, you know what? I got fleeced. <laughs> and they got fleeced because it was totally out of the will of God. I was not called to be there. Matter of fact, I'd study, get on fire, get in the pulpit, and like a bucket of cold water get poured on me. And I had no anointing on me. And the best thing I could ever do, and I asked my wife, she says, you know, you're finally getting to where you can get a good talk. And that was always given, given talks because the anointing was, wasn't present there because he's totally out of the will of God. He wasn't there. And so he, he just really wasn't. And so he kept praying, oh, Lord, I want out of here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And so he would pray. And some, one time he actually he found himself outside in the parking lot. He says, well, I don't even know how I got out in the parking lot. The burden of wanting to get away from this church was so strong that he didn't even realize he had, he had run out the door. But the Lord said, no, you've given commitment for this date. You need to finish it out. And so he finished out his date, and he said goodbye, and he left. He came back two years later and just preached up a firestorm. I mean, he was preaching, going, and they said, well, why didn't you do that when you were here? He says, because I was totally out of the will of God. I wasn't functioning in the will of God here, and so, but uh, now I am. And so, again, this just brings out that if God, if you made a commitment to something, finish it, complete it. A lot of times we want to hear fresh, fresh input from the Lord, but we're not, we're not hearing anything. Why? Because we probably haven't done what he asked us to do to start with. Go back. What was the last thing he told you to do? Have you done it? Have you done the Nike principle? What's the Nike principle? Just do it. Do it. Complete it. And he says, you know what? You were desiring to do it, but desiring doesn't change anything. Hell, hell is paved with well intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. But do it. Do it. Don't just say it. Don't talk about it. Do it. And Paul says, do it now. There are many great Christians who are like, or there are many Christians who are like a young man who wrote this to his girl. I would cross the widest ocean for you. I would swim the deepest river for you. I would scale the highest mountain for you. I'd crawl again across the burning sands of the desert for you. And then he ended his letter, P.S., if it doesn't rain Wednesday night, I'll be over to see you. <laughs> We're great talkers, but not great finishers. We talk a big game, but don't deliver. And so again, what's needful, again, is readiness to do something, but then if it's not active on, sentiment does not help anyone. So there is also a completion out of what you have. And so he says, if you have it, give it. Give it then. If you have it, give it. Well, one day I will give it. Well, do you have it now? Yes, but I, I'd rather, in case something else happens, I'd just keep on to it. No, if you have it now, then give it in faith. Proverbs 3.28 says, Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And so again, 
If you have something then, right then, don't wait to a later time. Is there something that God, is, that, that God told you to do that you haven't done? Ask that self to you. Ask that question. Is there anything God put in your heart to do, but you just haven't done it? And the Lord's saying, do it. I give you great, you have grace to do it. Whatever I've called you to do, you have grace and an anointing to do it. But you have to make the step to do it. Verse 12, for if there's a, first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. This verse brings out several principles. The first principle is first, it's a willing mind. God wants a willing mind. He wants you to do everything in the kingdom of God willingly. If you do everything out of grudgingly or I have to do this or an obligation, then it's not accepted by God. Now, that whatever you do, or if you give finances to a church, but you don't do it willingly, you feel like I just have to, to give, I'm putting pressure to give, or I, you know, I want to look good at the offering, you know, like I need to have something to give, other people do, I just feel, see, that's for you and your purpose, that's flesh, and the church is going to benefit by the finances, but it's not accepted by God. God accepts your faith. He accepts what's willing in your heart. And so first of all, it needs to be a willingness out of your heart for God to accept it. It says, for if there's first a willing mind, it's accepted. If it's the first of a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. God is not asking you to give what you don't have. Don't give me, a, don't write a hot check. God's not asking you to give what you don't have, but what do you have? That's filled with the Bible. The Bible's filled with that question, what do you have? Elijah said to the widow, well, what do you have? Well, I just have some flour and cake and oil. He, you know, Elisha said that to him. What do you have? I'll have some oil and a cruise. And, and so uh, God asked Moses, what do you have? A stick. Well, let me have it. I can use it. And so God's asking, what do you have? And let me have it, and I can use it. For if there's first a willing mind and accepted according to what it has and according to what he does not have. A man intended to give $10 in the offering. He pulled out his wallet thumb through there and actually pulled out the wrong denomination. He pulled out a hundred dollar bill and he gave it, didn't know it, put it in the offering and it went by. And as he was going out and he went to lunch, he pulled it out and he's like, where's my other hundred dollar? I had three hundred dollar bills. No, there's two. And then he was, oh man, I gave a hundred instead of the ten dollars. <gasps> he's like, well, I can maybe call the church. But then that looks bad. I can't do that. And then he thought, well, well, God will give me credit for the hundred. No, he won't. No, because your heart willingness was to give a 10. Now, the church uses the 100, but God accepts it according to what your willingness of your heart to give. And so it's accepted according to what has, not according to what one does not have. You know, some people, because of this principle, don't give because they don't have a whole lot. They think, well, I just don't have a whole lot. What does that matter if I give in? I have a buck or whatever. That's not going to do anything. It's not going to help the church out. But no, everything given in faith, God can use powerfully. I want you to tell this story that some years ago, a woman was preparing a box to be sent to some missionaries in India. A child gave her a penny towards the offering. And the woman specifically said, I'm going to use this penny. Promise, I'm going to use this penny wisely. And she went out with this penny, purchased a gospel tract for the box. Just a little simple gospel tract. With that penny, she bought that. It was a penny per tract. Eventually, the track re that tract reached a Burmese chief and was used to lead him to Christ. The chief told the story of his conversion to his friends, many whom believed. Eventually, a church was established, and over 1,500 people were converted to Christianity. No gift given willingly in faith isn't without for God to use it powerfully. Don't discount the little that you have. 
Remember the, when the, Jesus said, you know what, you feed them. Well, there's, uh, what do you got? And Jesus, well, what do you got? And he goes, well, uh, we just have a boy's lunch. We have, we have uh, five sardines and two club crackers. <laughs> well, what's that among them? Well, give it to me. Give it to me. And, and God's blessing multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Fed them all. They had more than left over. So again, nothing's too small to give to the Lord. Verse 13 says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. It's never great math to steal from Peter to pay Paul. He's not saying, you know what, I'm not asking you to be totally burdened and then they don't have any burden now. That's not really what God's after. He says, do you have an abundance? Give some out of your abundance so that there's more equality of burden there. Verse 14, but by inequality, that's balance in the Greek, balance. There'll be a balance that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality or balance. And so he brings out here that right now you have a superabundance, give to those that are lacking, and then maybe one day when you're lacking, they, have, they can give to you. And there's a balance. No, no, it's not a balance of equality of finances. It's an equality of burden so that no one's overly burdened and we all share the burden together. That's the balance that God wants. It's not want everybody to have the same amount. And so some take this verse to say that's, this Bible verse teaches communism. It teaches socialism. No, it does not. Let me tell you what communism is. Communism says that nothing belongs to you, but belongs to everyone. That's communism. Socialism actually takes one stuff that does belong to you, takes it from you, and gives it to people who do not have it. They take it from you. It's not part of willingness. And so in the New Testament, it's taught to give of the free will. If you have extra and you freely want to give it, give it to those that don't have it, then that's where you see the New Testament heart of love, not socialism. And so in the early church, you saw that. When you'd have people, they sold their lands, they sold stuff they had, they had extra, and they gave it to the church, and then they blessed it. But the problem happened when Ananias and Sapphira got in trouble over an offering. They got in trouble over an offering. Well, what did they get in trouble for? Well, they got in trouble because, you know, because... uh, they didn't give all of the, all the offering that they should have got. Not that wasn't the problem. What was the problem? They sold the land for a certain amount of money. And then Peter said, you know, why you had that? It was your property. We didn't force you to sell it. You chose to sell it. And you got a certain amount of money for it. And while that money was in your hands, it was yours to use. You could have came to the church and said, you know what? We want to give 80% of it and keep 20 That would have been fine. But what did they do? They came and actually said, we sold it for this amount, the whole amount, and we're going to give the whole amount to you. And they kept some back. They lied. That was a problem, lying to the Holy Spirit. He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead in church. I'm glad that didn't happen as lot anymore when you're lying in church because we'd have a deacon's ministry, a, a body-bearing ministry for the, minute, for the deacons to, to, to bury people outside and come back in the church. And so this verse is not teaching socialism or communism. It's teaching of your free heart, give. That's the heart of God. This verse is also not teaching against being rich. Against being rich. Well, what are you going to do with this verse? 1 Timothy 6.17. 1 Timothy 6.17. This verse is to rich people in the church. Raise your hand if this is for you. Or by faith it's you. Yes. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich. Command them to give all their money away so that they may be poor. I'm sorry, clueless translation. 
command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. And it's not talking about rich spiritually. We're all spiritually rich. He's talking about natural riches. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good and they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You don't take it from them. They're willing to share. And that comes from God's grace and God's love on the inside that God gave to you out of a willing heart. And so in the early church, it said the saints brought their finances and sold possessions and brought their finances for them. We're going to bring this out. I don't bring out why. Oftentimes, I mean, every time we do an offering, I'm asking you to bring it up here. Why is that? It's because it's scriptural. Because this is part of the worship service. And in the Old Testament, in the gospel period, and in the New Testament, we see that worship or giving was active. It wasn't passive. They did something with it. In the Old Covenant, they brought their offering when they appeared in the temple. They brought it to the temple. In the, in the New Testament, remember when Jesus sat and watched the treasury, watched the offering taking place? They brought their offering and gave it into the treasury. And then the widow with the two mites gave more than all of them. But they did something with it. They brought it to the Lord to worship him. In the New Covenant, what did they do? They brought it and cast their finances in, at the feet of the apostles. It wasn't a passive thing. That's why we're asking you to come forward as an act of worship, some, some active to worship the Lord to put this in here. And so don't throw it at my feet. That doesn't look good. But. So again, it's done willingly. And so look, it says, Now that this time their, your abundance may supply their lack, but their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. This word means balance. It's not the amount of finances, but it's the equality of burden on us all and so this is actually also speaking to the people that has the abundance i want you to bring this out this verse is written to those that have the abundance not the one that have the need see we could easily people take this verse and say ah i have a need so we find some rich person in the congregation and say this verse says you need to give to me and you start looking to people to meet your need no look to god as your source god loves to use people but if he didn't have people he still knows where ravens are there's still ravens, and he still has a recipe. I think I could find it in the back room for manna. I can make it up. I still can meet your need. Or if I have to, God can send a scruffy old dog with a paper bag full of money saying, from God, too ricked with love. God can, he can do that. But you know what? He loves to use people. He loves to use you to bless someone else. He loves other people to bless you through you. But oftentimes we don't like the source that God does it. And, and so we tell God how he's supposed to meet that need. Don't go get your eyes on people. Surely that's, that person paid first year tuition for me and they're going to continue to pay. Well, how do you know? That thing might dry up. They may say, you know what? I thought we could. I thought we had the finance. Can't do it this time. Well, you're going to fall apart and <laughs> or make them feel bad? No. You look to God. God's your source. He loves to use other ways. He loves for things to dry up and use another route. He loves to tell you to go to, to the brook Kareth and then let that dry up and then go into another route. He sometimes does that because he wants you to get your eyes on him instead of people or on the way. So, so if you have a need, don't just say, to go up there and say, well, you should pay for me because the Bible says so. And then don't do the, the charismatic thing. Let's hint. I have a prayer request. Can you just agree with me over my need? And what are you, if you really love God and you see a need, it says, you know, how can the love of God be in you and shut up your need? So, of course, you're going you're gonna to try to help them out. And then when they give you the money, you go, hallelujah, God met my need. 
No, you manipulated. Look to God. God supplies your need. And then verse 15, this whole verse is talking about if you have an abundance, give to those that don't. And to show an example in the Old Testament, he looks at verse 15, as it is written, as it is written. This is Exodus 16, 18. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing left over, and he that gathered little had no lack. This is speaking of the manna that fell six days a week. And they just reached out, and some got out there and really went after it. I'm going to collect as much as I can. And so they collected a lot, and some other people couldn't. They're older, or they were infirmed, and some of them couldn't even get out of the tent to go do anything. And so if you read this verse and take it out of context, you would think that God supernaturally took the manna, just zapped it out of people's bags, and zapped it into other people's bags. If you took it out of context. But in context, it's talking about people that have an abundance, giving free willingly to other people that don't, because it says, as it is written. This verse talks about that when people had extra, guess what they did? They gave to those that had, didn't have enough. So they gave so that there would be inequality, but it was out of free willing giving, not out of taking. Because if it was just zapped out of their bag, zapped into someone else's bag, and we're applying that today, then God's going to look at you and say, well, you know what? Uh, Jeremy, you have too much. And so I've seen you, I see what's in your bank account, and I'm going to zap out some of that out of your bank account and zap it into the bank account of someone else. You go to check your check. Where did my money go? God took it. No, he did not. No, no, you need to freely look around. Before you, when you get extra, before you look at like, what new thing can I buy? Why don't you look, what, where can I be a blessing to someone? And when you have that heart, guess you can't outgive God. The more you give to others, the more he gives back. It's a losing proposition. And he's going to bless you with plenty back. Verse 15 talked about that in the manna. Sometimes our lives, what, what would happen if they kept over the manna? Over, they said, you know, I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to keep on to it for tomorrow. It stunk. It had, you know, there are a lot of Christians' lives that just stink. Yeah. What is that? It stinks. Selfish. Selfish. That's what stinks. And it's like, you know what? Give it out and you'll have plenty for God to bless you with. And it says, he who gathered little had no lack. Verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. What's the same earnest care? What is the whole chapter talking about? He's talking about free willing. It says, Titus of his own will came to you. And he's willing to come back to you. You know what? Most ministers, I would say, will you go to Corinth? Mm -mm. I ain't going to go to that bunch of people. But Titus says, can you send me there? I love them. I, I, give me the hard assignment. I'll take it. And he says he free willingly said he would want to come to you. I didn't have to make him do it. And that's the way ministry ought to be. It should be done out of a free heart, not something you have to do or feel like you're grudgingly doing. Verse 17, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. He wanted to come to you. And so he's bringing that out. And so it's a blessing to a pastor when people come to you proactively and says, how can we help you? How can we serve? It's not, that doesn't bless you. How can we lead? How can I teach? How can I, how can I do this or that? No, no, no. It's a good blessing. We say, can I just serve somebody? And it's oftentimes when people want up and they want to preach and teach or whatever, I ask them, will you start out greeting? Will you be, well, no. do you not know who I am? Yeah, I know who you are. That's why I'm asking you to do it. I want you to do that. 
And so it's a blessing to have people do that. Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Most commentators say this is Luke. Luke that travels with him, and he was well known among the churches. That's why when he wrote his gospel, he was well known. His letter was well known. He's well known around the world among the Christians. And so most commentators bring out this Luke in this verse. Verse 19 says, and not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift? So look at the word gift. New covenant giving is gifts. It's the Greek word charis. If you're Texas, it's charis. But it's a Greek word. So God uses in chapter 8 and chapter 9, he uses Christian giving and he uses charis, grace, 10 times to talk about this is the giving that God wants. It's, it's realizing everything I have came from God to start with. I got everything I have is by God's grace. And I'm going to give it free willingly, not of, object, not of, of uh, obligation. I'm going to give it freely to God. And so that's the grace of giving. And so he says that they were chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which was administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself. Notice Paul says, didn't say, just trust me. I'll take the money, just trust me. No, trust is earned. It bothers me when people say, just trust, you should just trust me. No, I shouldn't. No, I should Well, I'm a Christian. That's why I shouldn't. Because you, you haven't been ripped off until you've been ripped off with someone with a fish on their card. They smile, say, hallelujah, Hyundai, Shondai, and rip you off. Because not all Christians are living out of their spirit. They're living in their flesh. And Paul didn't say, just trust me. He says, no, we're going to bring you guys, all pale delegates, you trust and come with me. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is a gift, but trust is earned. And so he said, to travel to administered by us to the glory of God. When you truly give to God, guess what? It's, it, you're glorifying God. It's to his glory. And to show your ready mind. It's to glorify God, but also to show you're willing to bless those that have need. Verse 20 says, avoiding this. There's some things we need to avoid in the Christian walk. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. You know there's people just sitting around waiting to blame, waiting to pick off stuff they don't see right. Why give them any ammunition? There's something people are just going to blame you. They're just going to choose to do that. But take away any occasion for them to legitimately think that there's something going on. So Paul says, I'm avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, grace, carice, which is administered by us. And so many Christians don't take any effort to avoid the appearances of evil. If you're going to be a minister, I just think any, as a Christian, people are watching you as a Christian. And you should avoid all appearances of evil. You're a young man, don't move in with a single woman and say, we're just friends. <laughs> and that's what people think. Yeah, sure. Well, we truly are, but no, it's an avoid, it seems like an appearance of evil. Don't put yourself in that, but especially if you're in the ministry. If, if you're in the ministry, you need to go above and beyond to make sure there's no appearance of evil. Just as a pastor, I will not counsel a woman by myself. If there's a time when I meet with them, the door's open, so it's kind of a public place. I don't ever close the door and have a meeting with, a, with the opposite sex. Never, ever. I will never take a coworker out to lunch. Well, it's just lunch. Yeah, but what about people say, that's pastor. Pastor's over there, and that's not Joanne. What's going on with pastor? Well, I don't want to, nothing's happening, but I don't want that to have anything possibly 
to even closely tie that. I won't take somebody to go on take a ride somewhere alone in a car. Billy Graham even took it. He was even more. He wouldn't get an elevator with the opposite sex by himself. He wouldn't go into a hotel room without someone going in first with him. And, and, and at that level, most of us are not at that level. We have to be that, that secure. But, but if you're going to be in leadership, you need to care about the appearance of evil. Verse 21, providing. Look at the word providing. It's the Greek word to think of beforehand. Most of us do stuff and don't even think about how our actions will look, how it comes across, what ramifications our actions take. Paul says providing or think of beforehand honorable things, good things. The word good is the Greek word kalos, which means outward good, attractive, beautiful. He says think about those things that will look good to those around, not only in the sight of the Lord because the Lord looks at our heart, but people also, the people can't see your sweet spirit. I know you're sweet, but they can't see your sweet spirit. They can just see your actions. And so people look at your outward. I love 1 Samuel 16, 7, when they brought David before Samuel, and they brought the other boys and the big, tall, handsome boys, and God said, well, that's surely the guy. Look how handsome and big he is. He says, no, no, that's, I rejected him. I rejected him. And then finally, David came. He came out of the field with hay all in his hair and smelled like the sheep and looked like the sheep. And God says, that's the one. He says, don't look at the outward. Is that, as God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward. We use that verse always to cover the fact, well, God knows my heart. But we forget the other side. Men look at the outward. Men look at the outward. And so we need to make sure that we don't have any appearance of evil. Verse 22 says, And we have sent with them, who's them? That's Titus and I believe Luke. Our brother, a third person sent. Three peacefuls is going to be sent with us with Paul to make sure that this is above board. And this goes along with the oral tradition of the law that required three persons to attend any distribution of alms. They had to have three attendants. And so Paul follows along with it because he's going to minister to Jewish people. And so he, has a, he takes that precaution. And he says, verse 23, If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner. Look at the word partner. I love it. It's the Greek word, one that I have communion with. I have fellowship with this guy. We really do life together. We, we're friends together. We have relationship together. And then after that, he calls him a fellow worker. Paul always kept a relationship first model of ministry. Before they're a worker, before they're a soldier, before they're under authority, it's relationship first. Because there's work to be done. There is submission and authority in the kingdom. But if it's not in the framework of relationship, it becomes dysfunctional. And before he talked about him being a fellow worker, just an employee, he's talking about, no, he's my friend. He's my, he's my fellow, fellowship partner. What's fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. <laughs> if anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner. He's my fellow worker concerning you. If, if you have any questions about our brethren, if they're inquired about, that's Luke and that's uh, also this other third member that got invited. We don't know who the third person was. If they're inquired about, there are messengers of the churches to the glory of Christ. Look at verse 24. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on our behalf. And it says show to them the proof of your love. So, no, say proof. proof. See, what's truly in our heart comes out and is proven by our actions. It's easy to say, but it's proven by what we do what we do. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word. 
I thank you, Father, that you've blessed us with an abundance. And the Lord's asking you, is there something that he's asked asked you to do or asked to give that you just haven't done it? You had good intentions about doing it. You said you were going to do it. You had zeal about it at the beginning, but you don't have much zeal for it anymore. It's not really fun anymore to follow through on what he's asking you to do, but he's asking you to do it. And he'll give you grace. He'll give you an ability to do it. And I think once you pick that back up, that zeal will start to come up, like a flame of fire will pop back up for you. But, but what haven't you finished? What have you finished today? What have you completed? And, and is there something the Lord's asking you to give? Are you, do you have an abundance today? Are you willing to, to ask God, is there someone that you want me to bless? And when you do that, you can't outgive God. You just can't do it. So, Father, I thank you for ministering this message to the saints today. To your glory, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Um, the word the Lord gave me today is, um, this is the land of the brave and of the free. The land of the brave and the free. It says freedom comes with boldness. And um, we are the righteousness of God. And we are as bold as a lion. And the lion does not turn away from any. And we are already free, but the freedom that others need, we need to rise up in boldness, knowing that we have the truth that will bring liberation to them, that without us standing as bold and as the brave, the, the liberty that we need to bring to others might not be, I mean, be released. So this week, he's saying we have the word of God in our mouth, and we have the boldness of the lion of the tribe of Judah who is in us and us. So let us go in that boldness so that liberty and freedom will be released in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God awesome? I feel like the Lord has shown people, given you direction. And the Lord gave me the scripture. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And the Lord was shown, reminded me, he, he opened the door for me to do this Uber thing. And I was really nervous. And God has just used it to be able to minister to people, to touch people's lives. I was able to pray for someone with cancer. And I know God's going to do a miracle there. But I know that God has directed me and he's just opening doors but if you feel like God is leading you into something, take the step. Do it. Because God's going to be in it. 